the uh, with the 21 minutes that we have remaining. We're going to start on topic number three. I thought that you know this week maybe we'll be able to catch up, and then I looked at what I had as the topic, and no. <laughs> the um, the topic for this one is the UN Resolution 3379 from 1975 equating Zionism with racism. I brought you the text of the resolution here in source number nine. I am not going to read the entire thing out loud, but I wanted you to be able to see it. Um, What I want to talk about is a very important question, which we tend, I don't know if we, maybe we is the wrong word. A lot of people tend to write this off, and it's a mistake. The question of, can you have a Jewish state that does not discriminate between Jews and non-Jews. From the perspective of traditional Judaism, can you have a Jewish state which is going to treat everybody equally? I'd like to believe so. Well, let's see. Let's see. What we're going to do this week is discuss the history of the Zionism equals racism resolution and what happened to it thereafter. And then I hope get into the question of why this is a question in the first place. What are our concerns? Why is this a problem? And then next week to talk about the answers. So I will leave you with a cliffhanger. But take a look at source number nine. Again, I'm not going to read out the entire thing, but you can see it there. This is from November 1975. The Resolution on Elimination of All Forms of Racial Discrimination. The General Assembly recalling its resolution proclaiming the UN Declaration on the Elimination of All Forms of Racial Discrimination. And in particular, its affirmation that, quote, any doctrine of racial differentiation or superiority is scientifically false, morally condemnable, socially unjust, and dangerous. And its expression of alarm at the manifestations of racial discrimination still in evidence in some areas of the world, some of which are imposed by certain governments by means of legislative, administrative, or other measures. Nothing to dispute there, right? Nothing to dislike there. Recalling also that in Resolution 3151G from 1973, the General Assembly condemned inter alia the unholy alliance between South African racism and Zionism. We're going to come back to that. And then taking note of the Declaration of Mexico on the equality of women, dot, 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 Keep reading in the same paragraph. The elimination of colonialism and neocolonialism, foreign occupation, Zionism, apartheid, and racial discrimination in all its forms, as well as the recognition of the dignity of peoples and their right to self-determination. And then going on, next paragraph. The racist regime in occupied Palestine, the racist regime in Zimbabwe and South Africa have a common imperialist origin. Taking note also of the political declaration and strategy to, I can't even, I don't have enough breath, which most severely condemned Zionism as a threat to world peace and security and called upon all countries to oppose this racist and imperialist ideology, determines that Zionism is a form of racism and racial discrimination. We have made a series of resolutions which declare that Zionism is racism anyway. Now we're going to give it its own stamp in its own resolution. Now, take a look at source number 10, which I think will show you the problem. This is from an article in the Israeli newspaper, Makor Rishon, there are many others I could have quoted, called, Municipal Rabbis Do Not Sell Residences to Arabs, from 2010. More than 50 municipal rabbis have joined the ruling of Tzfat Chief Rabbi Shmuel Eliyahu, establishing that one may not sell residences to Arabs, or even to rent residences to non-Jews. Rabbi Eliyahu relied on a similar ruling signed in 2005 by leading rabbis, Rabbi Nisim Karelis, Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky, Rabbi Aaron Yehuda Leib Steinman, Rabbi Michal 
Yehuda Lefkowitz and Rabbi Zalman Nechemia Goldberg. The last of whom is a prominent rabbi within religious Zionism in Israel today, the former one's major leaders within the Haredi community. So, and Rabbi Shmuel Eliyahu is in the religious Zionist camp. So you have an across-the-board statement of not selling homes, not even renting homes, to people who are not Jewish. So I ask you the question. Obviously, I share everybody's distaste for the resolution. But you tell me. What do you do? How do you square this circle? Sorry? It's a problem, no? It's definitely a problem. Yes. So Nanette asks if this, you're talking about the letter in number, in number 10, whether it was taken to the secular court. It was condemned in the media at the time, uh-huh. they, um, and condemned as being illegal and against, uh, and against Israeli law. I don't remember whether it was ever litigated, because it was just a letter that they circulated saying, we believe people can't do this. Um, but there, there's, there's no question it's inconsistent with um, general Israeli law. Yes, Judith. So Judith makes the point that separate from the rabbis in number 10, whose concerns were technical, as we'll see, we're going to talk about what their concern is, about not selling the land and not renting the land, but separate from the technical discussion, there's the survival discussion. The idea of having a Jewish state requires that you have the demographics to uphold it. There are way, 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 way more Arabs than there are Jews, and given the opportunity, they will overwhelm the Jews, and it will no longer be a Jewish state. That will put an end to the state. They have the capacity to simply overwhelm the, the, uh, to, to overwhelm the state. So that's a, you know, that's a legitimate argument, but that's not an argument that's inherent within Judaism. It's inherent in having a Jewish state. But their argument is actually a Jewish argument, as we'll see. But you're right. Meaning, maybe the argument ought to be that if we're going to have a Jewish state, it has to make this distinction for the sake of its survival, and it shouldn't be condemned as racist. It's an argument to be made for sure. So, yeah, Sherry. Right. Almost. Until the last sentence, I would have agreed with you. Meaning that the, the Zionism, you're right, they don't condemn Israel as a racist state. They condemn Zionism. But what's the definition of Zionism? Right? The longing for Zion, the longing for Jews to return and establish their own state in Zion, can't really be separated from the tradition in which it develops. Meaning that Zionism is about saying there's going to be a Jewish state. And whether it's because of you know, Judah's point about the need for the survival of a Jewish state, or whether it's because of principles that are inherent within Judaism, 
you're looking at the possibility. I, we're not going to end with their letter. You should know. Like, there are other things to see. I don't want people to, to, to leave here when we're done today thinking that's it. Zionism is racism. That would be bad. Um, but, um, but I'm trying to show you that there's a question here. And the question is, fundamentally, can you have a state that honors Zionist principles, which will not discriminate, whether because it needs it in order to survive, or whether because of the very ideals that produced Sionut, that produced Zionism in the first place. Can you do it on the basis of religion? If Canada said no Muslims allowed, right? You can't do that. Right? I'm not mentioning he who shall not be named. The, um, the, you, you follow the problem. The, 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 yes, every state has a right to decide who makes it in. But if you decide it based on certain things, you can be anathema in the world community because the world doesn't accept that sort of thing. If they were to decide based on race, if they were to decide based on religion, the, the statement of racism is inherently wrong. Right? Because it's not about race. There are Jews of every race. It's not about, it's not about race. And in that sense, they're, they're borrowing a hot term right? and using it inappropriately. But really, if we told the world, we don't discriminate based on race, we discriminate based on religion, they wouldn't be a whole lot happier. <laughs> Yes. Yes, no, this is true. I could not go into Jordan and put on tefillin. Right. No, 100% true. That's true. But taking them down with us isn't really my goal. I'd rather we get out of this problem and understand how this, how this fits. Yes, Brenda. When we're... The, the, the idea of survival is first and foremost. What about apartheid? Is that not, is that rule not where that apartheid comes from? So I'm not a scholar of South African history um, to be able to say. The supporters of apartheid apartheid may have said so. I don't know that it fit the facts. I just don't know. I I would, what I know about it, I'm a child of the 70s and 80s. So, you know, to me, um, you know, apartheid is of course wrong, no matter where it is, and and in South Africa it was wrong. And I would have a hard time seeing another side to it, but I've never studied the history. I don't know. I apologize if that offends any South Africans here, not intentional. Yes? Uh, The thing is, uh, apartheid, it's racist because they put blacks down. Okay. Right, so we're going to come back to that point. Dahlia makes an important point, which we have to get to, which is, was there any institutional discrimination in Israel that justified it or not? And we're going to, we're going to talk about that. Yeah. Sheila, and then we're going to go forward. Right. It was unquestionably not race-based. The question is religion-based. But Sheila, and then I'm going to go forward. Yeah, Sheila. I want you to know whether this ruling was actually followed in fact where the people are served. Well, that's where we're going. We're, we're, we're going there. The, um, you'll see. So, okay. Take a look, please, at source number 11. Regarding the association of Israel and South Africa, it's worth knowing this. 
In the 1950s and 1960s, Israel had prioritized building relations with the newly independent states of sub-Saharan Africa. This, in turn, led it to take a critical stance on the question of apartheid. Israel joined in condemning apartheid at the United Nations and voted to enforce sanctions against South Africa. I'm only using the Wikipedia article because they collect a lot of pieces in one place easily, but if you actually go there and you read the article, you can find the footnotes and track down where it's coming from. It's legitimate sources, even though it appears on Wikipedia. Just because it's on Wikipedia doesn't mean it's wrong. On October 11, 1961, Israel voted for the, U- for the General Assembly censure of Eric Love's speech defending apartheid. Israel became one of a few nations to have strong relations with apartheid South Africa after that. However, in 1961, Israel informed the UN Special Committee on Apartheid it had taken steps to comply with the military boycott of apartheid South Africa, had recalled its ambassador to South Africa. Israeli leaders publicly condemned apartheid through the 1950s and early 1960s, although it maintained contact with South Africa through a low-level diplomatic mission in Pretoria and through France, a mutual ally. So the Israelis are trying to maintain some connection, but they're condemning it at the same time. Why are they maintaining a a connection? The South African Jewish Board of Deputies feared an anti-Semitic backlash if Israel did not maintain good good terms with the present government. However, Israel continued to criticize apartheid and see closer relations with black African nations, but an anti-Semitic backlash never occurred. Israel regularly voted against South Africa's apartheid policies at the UN. After Israel voted in favor of economic and diplomatic sanctions against South Africa, Israeli lawmakers overwhelmingly approved the vote at the Knesset by a a vote of 63-11 with 13 abstentions. So Israel worked against apartheid for much of the 60s. When did it change? The Six-Day War, 1967. Because at that point, the Arab nations looking for allies against Israel goes courting support from the black African countries, and South Africa says, we need allies, you need allies, Time for a closer relationship between Israel and South Africa. And so at that point, you start to find Israel making a closer bond with South Africa, looking for friends anywhere. And then the UN, in its resolutions against apartheid, starts lumping in Zionism with apartheid and criticizing Israel's ties with South Africa, as you saw in the text from 1975. So in November of 1975... The the Soviets put forth an initiative with three resolutions to the UN General Assembly. One promotes a PLO presence at the UN, and that passes. They get observer status at the UN. Second, they propose an international body to protect Palestinian Arabs. And third, Resolution 3379 condemns Zionism as a form of racism and racial discrimination. The resolution passes 99 nations in favor, 32 uh, abstaining, only 35 opposing. Chaim Herzog gives, he's the, um, the son of Rabbi Yitzhak Halevi Herzog, who's going to feature in our class next week. Um, but he was the son of the first chief rabbi of the, of the state of Israel. He was the Israeli ambassador to the UN. And he gives a blowout speech in response. It's considered one of the great speeches. Take a look at source number 12. This is only a piece of the speech. There is a lot more if you go to the link that I gave you. It appears online in different places, but that was a good link to use because it's short. And he writes, It is symbolic that this debate, which might well prove to, which may well be proved to be a turning point to the fortunes of the United Nations and a decisive factor as to the possible continued existence of this organization should take place on the 10th of November. 
This night, 37 years ago, has gone down in history as Kristallnacht, or the Night of the Crystals. This was the night of November 10, 1938, when Hitler's Nazi stormtroopers launched a coordinated attack on the Jewish community in Germany, burnt the synagogues in all the cities, made bonfires in the streets of the holy books and the scrolls of the holy laws and the Bible. It is a sobering reflection indeed to consider to what this body has been dragged down if we are obliged today to contemplate an attack on Zionism. For this attack constitutes not only an anti-Semitic attack of the foulest type, but also an attack in this world body on Judaism. And he goes on, he talks about what Judaism has given to the world. And then he says, if you jump to the paragraph that starts, show me. Show me another pluralistic society in this world in which, despite all the difficult problems among which we live, Jew and Arab live together with such a degree of harmony, in which the dignity and rights of man are observed before the law, in which no death sentence is applied, in which freedom of speech, movement, thought, expression are guaranteed, in which even movements which are opposed to our national aims are represented in our parliament. The Arab delegates talk of racism. It lies not in their mouths. What has happened to the 800,000 Jews who lived for over two over 2,000 years in Arab lands. And he goes on with that. The Jews were once one of the most important communities in the countries of the Middle East, the leaders of thought, commerce, medical science. Where are they in Arab society today? And then he says what some of you have already noted. You dare talk of racism when I can point with pride to the Arab ministers who have served in my government, to the Arab deputy speaker of my parliament, to Arab officers and men serving of their own volition in our defense, border, and police forces, frequently commanding Jewish troops, to the hundreds of thousands of Arabs from all over the Middle East crowding the cities of Israel every year, to the thousands of Arabs from all over the Middle East coming for medical treatment to Israel, to the peaceful coexistence which has developed, the fact that Arabic is an official language in Israel on a par with Hebrew, to the fact that it is as natural for an Arab to serve in public office in Israel as it is incongruous to think of a Jew serving in any public office in any Arab country, indeed being admitted to many of them. Is that racism? It is not. That is Zionism. He gives a very dramatic speech. Culminating in tearing up the text of the uh, of the resolution, which was very interesting because he was actually mimicking his father. When the British issued the white paper, which blocked Jews, refu- Jewish refugees, from entering into what was then Palestine, his father had gotten up in public in Jerusalem and torn up the white paper. So he's making a statement by tearing this up at the, uh, at the UN. The U.S. also weighed in in, uh, in support. If you take a look at number 13, I see we're getting to the end. But just uh, the, UN's, uh, the U.S. ambassador to the U.N., Daniel Patrick Moynihan, um, says there, if you, I'm just going to jump to the last line, although I, I, you should go to the website and see the speech in general. But he says, the United States rises to declare before the General Assembly of the United Nations and before the world that it does not acknowledge, it will not abide by, it will never acquiesce in this infamous act. Noteworthy, Canada also voted against. Um, I don't know about any florid speech against it, but I know that they voted against but that stays on the books in the UN, 1975 until 1991. 1991, you get this, uh, you get the, the reversal. The reversal is very short. The reversal says, the General Assembly decides to revoke the determination contained in its resolution 3379 of 10 November 1975. Why did they revoke it? Two things. Uh, number one, President George Bush Sr., 
put heavy pressure on them to, to revoke it. He gave orders to all U.S. embassies around the world to pressure the diplomats in various countries to, to revoke it, and as a precondition for Israel to go to the Madrid Peace Conference. They, uh, they said, we're not going unless you get rid of the resolution, and so they voted overwhelmingly to, um, to eliminate it. But interestingly, I brought you a number 14 from the New York Times at the time, that the, um, the head of the General Assembly of the UN at the time was Shamir Shihabi of Saudi Arabia, who claimed Palestinian origin and who refused to be present at the session. The, uh, he walked out. The representative from the Honduras instead had to be the one to preside over the assembly. Okay. So what we're going to have to talk about, Shihabi's still angry. The, um, what we'll have to talk about next time, though, is this. You have this resolution, which we clearly abhor. How does it square with elements within Judaism which seem to advocate discrimination? So please be here next week. Thank you.